Well, good morning. So it is another beautiful day, and uh, it's been exciting to be outside and enjoy the spring weather, and hopefully you've been out and about in the sunshine and getting a little bit of vitamin D. Uh, One of my favorite walks I have ever taken was a few years ago, I was led on a tour of the Gettysburg Battlegrounds. We literally had a uh, person that was there that was a registered tour guide for the park service there, and we went on an eight-mile hike walking the battlegrounds and him explaining all the things that happened in, in that place and in those locations that we walked through. And what I discovered is that as we're walking through this is that the study of Gettysburg literally gives you an opportunity to see through the lens of leaders. The lens of leaders and how to manage a precarious situation. None of them knew the ground before getting there. They had to respond to all the things that were going on. They didn't know how many forces were there and which direction they were coming from. Uh, They had to shore up their lines, and then they had to figure out who was going to be uh, on the flanks of each side of the line, handling an unknown number of enemy. It was not the chosen place. This was supposed to happen in other places near Carlisle and Harrisburg, and yes, even Lancaster County. But it happens at Gettysburg. And as we're walking through and I'm asking questions of that guide who literally said he had to memorize 15,000 pages of information in order to pass the test to become a park ranger that would guide them, uh, guide people on the tour. And so a lot of information. So I began to ask questions about leadership and, and how they, what information were they considering when making the decision to do whatever it is that was before them. You see, in that moment, they had an unprecedented experience of a battleground and a situation that they had lying right there before them, an unknown. And when you have something unprecedented before you in your lifetime, it is in that moment that the fabric of who you are becomes exposed. And so, literally... In unprecedented times, it attests the fabric of leadership at their core. You discover what's at the core of the being of every leader when they are dealing with the unknowns. Can we not say in our experience today that we're dealing with an unprecedented battle Where, yes, in our lifetime, we've never faced a worldwide pandemic. And having to face it with our rules and laws, not necessarily having considered such a time. How do you lead? What decisions do you make? Who should be making those decisions? You will tell, over time, what leaders at their core are well-grounded, steadfast, and have a good sense about them. We literally are living a case study before our eyes. 
Now, people are watching this from different parts of the world and in different regions of the state and, yes, in different parts of the county that we're in. Some of you are observing your local officials and how they're leading and, and, and you're applauding it or maybe not. Some of you are looking at your state officials and maybe you're, you're saying they're using good caution, but maybe not. Some of you are looking at the national leaders and saying they're doing their job, but others of you would say not likely. So which side do you stand on and, and, and where do you think the true test comes of a person's motive and character. A lot of us have already stood in judgment. <laughs> and it's very easy to pick at the leaders right now because that's pretty much all the information we're getting in the news. There are no sporting events to root on. There are no public activities going on. So we're left with basically a television programming of each day's leaders' decisions. So it's easy to pick at them. I, quite frankly, would not want to be in their shoes. Yet, I, like many of you who have businesses you lead or households you lead, have had to make leadership decisions as well in these times. And, like the test of our governors and our elected officials and president, we are, too, laying out a track record of what's at the core of our being. The church has established leadership. And that leadership is regularly tested, like any leader's role would be. And in this time, we are tested with, again, unprecedented experiences. None of us in the leadership of the church have ever dealt with a pandemic. None of us were alive in 1918. None of us were a part of Europe when the plague was running rampant. Albeit, if you know a personal story of mine, I have been exposed to the bubonic plague before and fortunately did not contract it. However, it did bring up a lot of opportunity for me to, when I got exposed, I thought the plague was gone. So I did a lot of research to find that, nope, it's evident and still here in the United States, albeit in just a handful of places. And for me, I was exposed in Colorado. So then when you have those opportunities to study, you, you start learning a lot about history, but that no, does not prepare you for the present. You see, life is very different right now in 2020. The way the world interacts, the way our economies are so interconnected, the freedoms that we have in travel, again, is so unusual as compared to the history of mankind. So the church sits among that current context. How do we lead in that? How do we lead with the current rules? In the state of Pennsylvania, there are no restrictions for churches gathering to worship. There are no legal restrictions, which means that every church that is not meeting with a gathering right now is choosing to do so voluntarily. And some of you, that might have been a revelation but let me tell you that even though there are no legal restrictions, there is a charge to leadership, especially church leadership, to not just focus in on what is our legal right, but rather what is best in the way we care for our people. The text of 1 Peter chapter 5 is profound, especially in the current context. 
I am, I, weekly, as we've been praying for teaching out of 1 Peter during this season of time, I have shaken my head saying, I cannot believe how relevant this text is for today. And today, this is extremely relevant because it speaks to leadership, it speaks to culture, and it speaks to anxiety, all in the same. Now, some of you may have just clued in on to one of those words, and probably many of you had clued into the word anxiety. But let me get there here in a moment. But let's begin with leadership. So in 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning with the first four verses, it says this. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. Not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So elders are called to be shepherds. The leaders of the church are called to be shepherds where they care for the flock. And in this case, it says to watch over the flock. Now, understanding for their culture, shepherding was an actual occupation that was common. And and you couldn't travel from town to town without coming across the path of a shepherd, guiding sheep as they go along the plains. So they understood what the roles of a shepherd were. So when Peter says to the elders of the church, you are to watch over the flock as a shepherd, they knew intuitively and inherently because of culture what that meant. But just in case you've grown up in a more suburban or urban non-agricultural context, Let me just tell you what watching over the flock actually means. It means that the shepherd, as they walk along with the flock out and grazing the land, that they're looking for threats that might hinder the flock. They're making sure that nothing would come in and harm them. So for Peter, he's telling the the elders and leaders of the church that, we're called to look out for the flock. We are called to look for any kind of enemy or threat that might enter in and seek to destroy. We're also called to look and watch the flock to see if there's any sickly or hindered among them. So if you see a sheep that's not behaving as it normally would, then the shepherd would go over and find out what is ailing them. So too, we as leaders of the church As we look out through those we are leading and that's been entrusted to us, we are looking to see those who are in need. Find out what the need is and address it. Additionally, the shepherd is also called to count the sheep. Make sure that none have been lost. Now, that can lead to some interesting dynamics in today's uh, manner of church is that you're counting for the sake of pride. Look at our numbers. We are a growing church. That's not what this is referring to. It's making an account of the fact that everybody is accounted for, that that they're not being 
astray or led astray. And so when you realize that somebody is missing and not there, you go and you make a call, you make a visit, and you discover that there's been something that has been going on in their household that has been harming them or hurting them. Or you find out that there's something that has distracted them. So too, as leaders, we are to then be involved in making sure that those who are entrusted to our care, that are part of the church, that we are making sure that they are not straying. And that if they are, we gently lead them back. We are also looking for those to be added to our number that have never been a part of the flock. I love the parable that Jesus shares about, uh, about the heart of the father when he says that he had 99 sheep, but that wasn't enough. He went after the sheep that wasn't there. For there, the ones that were the 99 that were already in the pen and safe, he was like, you know, there's one out there that still is not safe. I'm going to go after that sheep. There was a tenacity to the shepherd's heart of God that says, I'm never satisfied with how many sheep I have. So too, we as the part of the flock of Christ, part of the church of Christ, that we should not be satisfied that we're in the pen, that we're part of this sheep, this fold, this family, and that that's enough and be satisfied with that. As leaders, we're actually called to be dissatisfied that there are those who are lost and still not part of the fold. Which is why churches should not grow weary in reaching out. We should always be looking for those who have never discovered the great shepherd, Jesus Christ. So all of this would be inherent and understood when Peter says that elders and leaders of the church are called to lead like good shepherds watching over the flock. Then he uses another word in, after saying we're called to watch over the flock. He says we're called to serve them. So as a leader in the church, not only are we called to lead in a manner that of all those things I just said, looking for threats, looking for needs, and looking for those who might be lost, but once they're in the fold, we serve them. We serve them. A serving mindset calls the leader to lead for the benefit of others. A serving mindset of a church leader is for the benefit of others. We should not be leading for self-gain. We shouldn't be leading for self-promotion. We shouldn't be leading for any kind of, of personal gain whatsoever, but purely for the benefit of the body. We're called to serve them, not lord over them. You see, in this text, it says, serve the flock, not lording over those who are entrusted to you. It's at the, in the middle of verse 3. So in other words, our posture, our temperament as leaders in the church isn't to exert our power. And show our control, show how incredibly wise we are, but rather we're called to serve, to build them up, to empower the flock, not to push them down and show that I'm in control. So this type of leadership already might seem different from what we've observed across our country and across the world. 
It's very difficult when you're given authority because of a pandemic, unilateral authority, to not become Lord, but choose to continue to serve. And there might be days where you flirt with it, where our leaders one day come off as very servant-hearted and other days come off as being a Lord. Well, see, in the church, our calling is every day that we are called to serve and be an example of serving. In fact, at the end of that verse, he goes on to say that not only should we not be lording over them, those who are entrusted to, that, to us, but we are to be examples to the flock. So in other words, the flock should look at our lives, look at the way we make decisions, look at the way we lead, and say, I want to do it like that way. I want to be able to follow their pattern. I want to follow their spirit. I want to follow their way of action towards others. We're to be examples in heart, in spirit, and in action. So the leaders of the church have a high standard. We're called to watch over them like any leader should, looking for threats, looking for needs, and, and recovering the lost or the straying. We're called to serve, not lord over people. And we're called to be that example. Providing a template of how to live. Going first and providing steps that others can walk in. That's a pretty high standard for leadership. And yet, that is what is led by example by our chief shepherd. Our humble king, Jesus Christ. He was truly Lord, but the spirit by which he led was not lording over them, but serving them. So we have an example as leaders within the church to follow the lead of our great shepherd, Jesus Christ, who served, didn't lord over people. And in the same way, people who follow the leaders of the church should take on the same mindset that we're called to serve not lord over others. Then Peter says in verse 4, that this chief shepherd that has set the ultimate example that we as leaders are to follow, that same chief shepherd will honor the under-shepherds and the leaders who have led with a servant's heart and have cared for the flock as a good shepherd would. You see, as a leader in the church, I don't look for commendation here on this earth. I look for commendation from the great shepherd. Let me reread verse 4. It says, And when the chief shepherd appears, he will you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So whatever commendation that might come to me that I would ever desire, I would hope would come from him. And it will come later. It will come after this life. And I'm good with that. Because if I start leading in, the, in a manner that is seeking applause from mankind, pride will grow from within. I'm human, just like any other person. I am capable of operating out of pride as much as anyone. And yes, even in the position of pastor, pride can come and become the spirit by which I lead. And that is more easily an entrapment to me if I am seeking the applause of mankind. So therefore, 
I seek my commendation from the one who has provided the example that I'm to live by. Peter understood this as well. As we've talked about with Peter's example, there was many times he went forward with gusto, probably with a little bit of pride. Well, if nobody else is going to go, I'll go first. I admire some of that with Peter. But many times he was caught in a prideful action and then ultimately humiliated by the end result. So Peter, having had all those experiences, is now the one saying, don't lead as I used to try to do when I was walking with Jesus. Lead now by the manner that I've now learned through my many mistakes, which is watch over people, not as a Lord, but as a servant, and to do so with a humble heart. Look what he says now, starting in verse 5. He says, In the same way, you who are younger... Submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, for he cares for you. So Peter is just basically given a profile of what a leader looks like in the church that is going to protect the flock, look out for threats, look for needs, and, and, and go after those who are straying or are lost. And then says, we're called to serve, not Lord. It's all building a case for the heart of the matter, which is humility. We operate with a spirit of humility. Because this isn't about us. We're here to give glory to God, as we've spoken many times over the last few weeks. Out of the text, we're called to give glory to God, not to ourselves. And so a godly, Christ-like leader is seeking his commendation from God, not from the applause of men. And as a result, humility is the spirit and attitude of a good leader. And then, Peter says, and the flock should do likewise. The flock, all those in the church... In the same way, as it says in verse 5, in the same way, like the leaders that are placed over you, should then submit yourselves to that authority and operate with humility. Then he quotes from this passage uh, out of uh, Proverbs where it says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Which basically means... If you want to be on God's team, choose humility. If you want to be on the opposition, choose pride. Well, that's an easy decision. I choose God. His team's going to win. So, therefore, you choose humility. With all the authority and power that Jesus had, he didn't lord over people. Instead, he served. So, as leaders, we do that. But as the family of God, the church of God, we are all called to that same standard of humility because God opposes, he fights against those who are proud. But he shows his favor, his blessings to those who are humble. So then Peter says in verse 6, humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. Hmm. So then you have this mutual submission that permeates a healthy church. Because again, the whole text of 1 Peter up to this point talks about submission to authority. And it goes from government, household, church. 
But then there's this mutual submission within the church that leads then to this idea of from what comes from the top must then come from the bottom. So in the church, we don't just have this standard for the leaders, which God does hold the leader into greater account. However, the same spirit he expects of the leader, he expects of the flock. Humility, servant-heartedness. So what comes from the top must also come from the bottom. Now, in this text, where it talks about uh, that in the same way you are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. So yes, it does speak to kind of this demographic of age. But you need to understand that one of the elders in the church at that time was Timothy, in his younger 20s. So it's not always relegated to an age that those who are elders. Some of our elders are younger. Albeit, they're at the same age Jesus was when he was doing his ministry. But the rest of us elders are beyond the age of what Jesus was here on this earth. Some of them are way older than me, and I'm not going to call their names out. I'm kind of in the happy middle, if you will. But having said that, it doesn't matter the age. We're called to submission to those who are called leaders in the church, regardless of what the leader's age is and what those who are following's age are. Because there are many in our church that are older than me. But yes, they're, yet they're called to be in submission to those that are in their leadership, even if some of those leaders over them are younger than them. The spirit of service, then, that is called upon and forced upon the leaders of the church, that same servant heart, is expected of the church. We're called to follow the example of the leaders because the leaders are called to be examples. So therefore, we're called to follow them. We submit to them. We follow them in spirit and leadership and their actions of service. So we, too, follow after that. And then, as it says in verse 5, yes, we are called to live out the humble spirit. Verse 6, God blesses the humble But then in verse 7, he says this statement. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I've been reading several articles over the last few days that they are concerned that there is going to be a mental health crisis when we are able to get out of our homes once again. A lot of that has to do with anxiety riddling the home. What's at the source of anxiety? Now, some of it I recognize could be physiological. But much of anxiety is not rooted in the physiological, but in the penchant of wanting to control things around you. And not everything around you can be controlled. So, in this statement, what you have is, again... Peter acknowledging that there's a leadership that's called to a humility and a servant's heart and an example in the way they watch over and care for the church. And then he has a church that's to follow their lead in humility and service as well. Then he says, but the church is not to be guided by the horizontal, but rather by the vertical. You see, for those who tend to be more riddled by anxiety... Their eyes are regularly on what is going on around them. And they're failing to look up and trust in the one that is above them. Again, I recognize that's not always the case. There are sometimes there are physiological reasons for it. But let's be honest. 
anxiety begins more often than not because we are incapacitated by what is going on around us. Hmm. For those of you that feel like right now your anxiety is caving in on you, let me appeal to your heart. It says here, cast all your anxieties upon him. Because he cares for you. This past week I've spoken to a couple people whose hope is fleeting because anxiety has riddled them. They're not able to even function. And this is one of those seasons where you wish you could give a hug. But you can't. Because you're dealing through a device. A very personal issue. Keep in mind Peter's context here. As Nick shared last week, we now know that likely at this time, Nero's actions are no longer threats, they're real. He lit up Rome by burning Christians throughout the city. Their anxieties were validated. There was much to worry about. Peter chooses here to speak to it about anxiety and concern. He chooses here after talking about how leaders should lead with a humble spirit watching over them. Caring for them. Serving them. Calling out on humility. And then says, you got to cast your cares. This context is so difficult for these people that Peter's writing to. And he says, cast your anxieties upon him. He cares for you. And it, just prior to that, he had just said that the God's mighty right hand will lift you out. God's mighty hand, his all-powerful hand, his hand is not hindered by anything that happens on this earth. God's mighty hand will lift you up. So cast your cares upon him. Quit being so consumed by the horizontal. Let your eyes go vertical. Cast those anxieties upon him. He cares for you. And we as leaders in the church are called to care for you as well. We can't help you in your season of anxiety, frustrations, or anger if you remain silent right now. We need you to reach out to us to say, I need help. Let us be good shepherds and care for you. Don't wait till the doors are open again to seek help. God has placed shepherds over the church to do what you are needing right now, and that is to receive care. And let us guide you to where you can get great help. 
but it's going to require humility on your part to ask for help. You can do so by simply calling our church, 717-626-5332, or going to office at lefc.net and emailing, and we will get you help as soon as we can. Peter is closing out a letter knowing that people are struggling with fear and anxiety. He's told you there is a church leadership that cares. And he says, and the church can care for each other. But then he closes with giving this important charge. He says in verse 8, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that in the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Be alert and of sober mind because there is a lion prowling that wants to destroy you. Believe me, I'm confident that when this was written, the church received this seriously. See, in order to lead your own life well, in order for the church leaders to lead the church well, it requires each of us from top to bottom and bottom to top. It requires all of us being alert and of sober mind. In other words, leading well requires seeing well. Leading well requires seeing well. One of the most fascinating things when, that I've experienced when I've traveled the world was when I went on a safari in Africa and I saw how animals looked out for each other. You see, there are many animals that do not like the lion because they recognize in the lion's eyes they're a piece of meat. But while the animals are always on the alert, they at some point have to put their head down to drink water. And this is where all the different species look out for each other. Zebras, wildebeest, different, springbok, different types of antlered animals. You'll see many of them drinking together. But you'll also see many of them behind with their eyes up and watching. They look out for each other. Because if the lion shows up, they need those watching to see him from afar so that they can run and spare all of those who are at the water well. This means that we have to see. We have to be clear-minded. We can't let the things that are, again, on the horizontal plane cloud our minds so much that we fail to see that the enemy is right there in front of us. So we need to be able to see well in order to lead well. So being alert and sober-minded. If we fail to lead our lives or lead a flock well, and, and, and we do so with becoming a little bit more apathetic and not really being alert and watchful, the enemy could literally come up right beside you and you may be drinking your water not realizing the one that wants to devour your soul is drinking right next to you. I found this image. Now, for those of you listening on radio, you're not going to be able to see it, but I found this image that was Photoshopped, and it's kind of paradoxical. 
It shows a lion drinking water next to a zebra. Now, if this was a literal picture, you'd be saying, that is one stupid zebra. You'd be saying, is he not aware that he is steak in the eyes of somebody having a drink before eating? As foolish as that zebra is, how many of us are drinking from the water while the enemy is right there next to us? And we're acting as if there's no threat. We've numbed out. We quit being alert. And we had no clue that the enemy is drinking right next to us. And we are at great risk. Peter is telling the church and he's telling the people, listen, there is an enemy who is an adversary to your soul and he wants to see you destroyed. And part of the ways he can see you destroyed is by you letting him come near enough to render you ineffective, minimally, or harm you greatly. How else does a believer, a follower of Christ, become incapacitated by anxiety or worries, or by the things of this world, no matter what it is, even if it's not a mental health issue, it, it, it could be many things. We could let the, the, the passions of life cause us to become so blind that the enemy is taking territory from our hearts. Peter is saying, beware, beware. Be humble enough to realize you need God's leadership. Be vertical. Keep your eyes set on him. Be alert so you can see. And then he reminds them, just in case you think that your battle is more intense and that nobody else gets it, what does he say in verse, verse 9? Or verse 10, it says, uh, or verse 9, it says, he goes, resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same type of suffering. People, whatever we're going through here in the United States is not unique. And in many cases, it's not as bad as in other places of the world. So take heart. We have a caring God who has a mighty hand, who is led with humility and serves his church, who is in charge the leaders of the church to be humble and serve and watch over you. And then we can respond in kind by being servant-hearted towards others. But always keeping our eyes on the one who can lead us safely to the water. Let's pray. Dear God, I don't know who's on the other side of that camera or listening to my voice on the radio. I don't know what their state is. I don't know what their anxieties are. I don't know what their worries are. I don't know what has hindered their soul. I don't know that they've ever had a relationship with you. But what I know is that you are a caring God with a mighty hand. You are humble in heart and you are servant-spirited in the way you go about it. And to do so with the kind of power you do, why would we not entrust ourselves to you? And knowing that about you, that is a huge charge to those of us who are leading the flock of Christ. You've entrusted a great care to us of which we need to make decisions in the days ahead with care over the flock, with a servant's heart, and with a humble spirit. 
But God, I pray for those who are struggling to see clearly because they are riddled with cares of, of anxiety and, and things that are on this earth. They, they want to control it and they can't control it. And it just causes them to spin out of control. God, would you lift their head up and show them your mighty hand, but your tender face. So God, thank you for this text that was written through your apostle Peter that speaks to us in this day. May we be found to follow the example of Peter who followed the example of Jesus, who followed the example of the Father and being humble in spirit, serving others, and trusting in the vision and leadership of you, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So before you dismiss yourselves, if you're gathered in your homes with other people, may I give you some questions you can probably take some time now to ask each other. Are you yourself a lone sheep without a shepherd or a flock? So I'm going to begin there. Maybe you're that one that's been running. Maybe you're that one that's been straying. Maybe you're that one that you just go to church, you sit in a chair and you leave, and you would rather not talk to anybody. You need the church. You need the relationships. And most of all, you need Jesus. I would invite you, if you've never had a relationship with Jesus Christ, to entrust yourself to him as your Lord. And I can be confident that he'll lead your life with a humble spirit. He died for you. Whatever errors and sins you may have committed in your life, his death and resurrection was a means of covering and paying for all the sins that you committed and then giving you life that now you can live debt-free before God. All you need to do is acknowledge you're a sinner, believe in the work he's done for you, and commit your life to him. Second question I'd like to ask is, what elders or pastors in your life have you found to be inspiring or trustworthy? I grew up with in, uh, in a small Wesleyan church and there was a Pastor Barry who's no longer here on this earth. But there was so much about him that I admired. And so there are things about him that I, I look at and say, I want to make sure that that's replicated in my life. So when you think of those pastors that have inspired you or elders that have inspired you, what about their leadership style impacted you? Think specifically about that. And then how can you take their example and apply it to your life? Next, what area of your life do you find pride stands in the way of a humble spirit? Now, don't tell me you don't struggle with pride because if you do feel that way, right there's your problem. There's pride. So what area of your life do you struggle with pride and how has that hindered you in regards to your relationship with other people and with God? So identify the area of pride and consider how it might have hindered relationships, both vertically and horizontally. And I would encourage you to study the verse found in Isaiah, verse, chapter 66, verse 2. It's a, it's a passion I love where it says that God esteems the one who is humble in heart, contrite in spirit, and trembles at my word. Number four. Where do you feel most vulnerable to the enemy? If there is an enemy, which there is, the devil himself, 
who seeks to devour you, where do you find yourself most vulnerable to him? And being able to even lead your own life from a position of strength. Is it anxiety and worry? And being able to control things around you? Is it the lack of knowing God's word? You just don't, we're teaching you stuff right now. You're like, I had no idea that's in the word of God. Maybe you just need to learn it better. What are the areas that you struggle with? And would you willing, be willing to allow somebody to speak into your life on that area? And maybe even pray with them? Listen, we're all vulnerable, vulnerable sheep. I'm a sheep just like you are. But I also happen to serve as an under-shepherd, under the great shepherd. But vulnerability comes to us all if we have human skin. But we have great strength that comes from being within the flock. We have those that look over us. We also have those around us that look after us. We must be a part of the flock to experience the joy of being in God's family of believers. I close this time by reading verses 10 and 11 as our benediction. It says, And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. God bless and may God speak to your heart now as you consider these thoughts.